Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Thad Cummings, and we will be talking about his book, Radical Compassion, Subverting a Culture of Hostility. Social media has become a war zone for politics. Millions are suffering from anxiety and depression, and millions more lack basic necessities for quality of life. Many of us count the minutes until Friday and pray that Monday is a lifetime away. Confined by the very stresses that steal away our joy, join us in a conversation to fight for what matters again. Together, we can rebuild our communities, relationships, and workplaces with purpose and passion and get back to the fruit of what it means to be alive, to fully live once more. Thad is author of Running from Fear and Radical Compassion, and after spending a decade of running social enterprises and a nonprofit, he founded Changing Company, where he shares his passion for bringing new conversations where all voices are heard, barriers are broken, and the polarization of our community is diminished. For more information, you can visit his website, which is changingcompany.org. And with that, I'd like to welcome Thad to the show. Good day, sir. Good afternoon. I'm happy to have you with me today. Um, you're, um, I, I really want your message and voice to go out so loud and, and uh, strong and reverberate because we are in so much need for what we're going to be talking about today. So um, I, I usually like to have my guests kind of give a little bit of a background of you know, kind of their journey, where they came from, and kind of gotten them to their current um, role. So would you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about your journey so far? Yeah, of course. I think, um, you know, like uh, most good stories, I have a good climbing to the top of the mountain and falling off very quickly. And so um, I, I, I was actually able to start off pretty, pretty young. And uh, kind of running from the childhood and all the pain, I decided that it was up to me to save the world. And so, or or, or at the very least, I should say, uh, redeem myself in doing so. And so turning that pain into motivation to, let's say, start the businesses or start a nonprofit or do the social enterprises really began in college for me. And of course, we we all know of what happened in the 2007-2008 time frame. And what was actually kind of interesting in that period of time was uh, I I was so desperate to prove my worth to the world um, that that I was willing to do anything to keep the businesses going. And uh, after a few years, I actually kind of made it through that uh, that recession and kind of came out on top. And so I, I was able to taste success very young 
and and really grew several companies into a, a, a very decent size wealth where I actually felt like I was making an impact and, and, and funding my nonprofit and doing all these great social organizations. But the hard part was that was coming at a cost to, to me and my livelihood and my health for, for engaging these issues for all the wrong reasons. And so uh, fast forward a few years and um, next thing you know, my, I get sick and then I get really sick. And then my, you know, as my health collapses, the companies collapse and the nonprofit shuts down and everything kind of withers away. And I, I go from this 20 something, you know, with a seven figure net worth and, and all these great programs to penniless and, you know, and an apartment, you know, with no furniture wondering, you know, why my phone next to me is silent and the world moved on without me kind of thing. And so um, the, the joke is, is I got to have my midlife crisis young. Um, and of course I'm, <laughs> oh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have gone through the health issues and to still be here. I'm, and um, you know, I'm yeah. still struggling and working through them to this day, seven years later, but at the same time, I've been able to process through a lot of that pain stemming from my childhood, those reasons why did I need to feel the desire to try and save the world, to try and have all the success and, and, and money and impact, and, um, and, and kind of deconstructing those narratives over the past you know, five, six years has really led me on a different journey of asking those, those questions that we all wonder most, most days, if we're honest enough to, you know, when we're not distracted by Netflix or whatever, that, that we're, you know, <laughs> when we're, when we're caught in those moments of like the world right now, it's in a, it's in a bit of a chaos and, and, uh, and, and it's, you know, when people are stuck at home or, you know, their livelihoods are taken away from them, their jobs, their spouses, you, you know, their safety nets and all those realities. Um, we, when we wrestle with those bigger questions of what is the point of all this, what is going on? Why am I here? All those sorts of, all those sorts of um, heart gut wrenching questions. That's where I think things actually begin to really get exciting. And, and I've, and I've spent those years trying to understand and wrestle with those with a lot of people much, much wiser than I am and taking their wisdom and trying to put it in a format that I can hopefully share, share back with, with people in the community who want to wrestle and want to find uh, more worth and value in their life moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in, in your book, there was one point you talked about Netflix and ice cream. <laughs> yep. I know exactly what that is talking about. Um, so what, one of the, um, in your book, okay, the book is, first of all, is entitled um, Radical Compassion. Now, um, and in your book, throughout, you basically focus on um, compassion, grace, and love. So can you tell us, um, from your point of view, the difference, you know, between those um, you know why were why did you kind of focus on those, and then what is radical? What you know what what makes how do you go from compassion to radical compassion? Yeah, you know I would say um, I, I kind of start off by by trying to level the playing field because if we're going to talk about things like grace or love and joy and compassion, all these sorts of topics. I, I think we all need to 
engage it from a place of humility. And so one of the things I try to point off very early on is this idea that um, Merriam-Webster defines poor, the adjective, as lacking material possessions or small and worse. And so typically when we think of this concept of poor, we always tend to illustrate a person who may be perhaps homeless, right? The, the person holding the cardboard sign standing on the highway exit asking for pocket change. And so it, it's, it's not that that isn't real and that isn't a, a form of poverty. Of course it is. Um, but there's so many more forms of poverty. And what I think ends up happening is we distance ourselves because a person might be able to say, well, well, I have a home or I have a car, so I'm not as bad as that person or, you know, or, or, you know, I have, I have friends who have lost spouses. I have friends who have lost kids, you know, and, and, and everybody does this reality of saying, well, I'm not as bad as that person, but, but it takes away the opportunity for us all to say, actually, I am poor in maybe not financial ways, but perhaps I am poor in health or perhaps I'm poor in relationships and feeling in isolation or perhaps I am poor in spirit or, or just this reality of poor, poor in love, poor in passion, poor in purpose. It's, it's, it's such a broader topic. And so I like the idea of defining poor as lacking an element for wholeness and joy. And what I mean by that is, is, is if we can see that all of us are falling short in some way in our lives, and it, and it hinders us from being able to then engage grace and compassion in the world, if we can start from that place and have that level of humility, then we can realize two things. The, the first one is that we all have needs, right? Because now you can get off your soapbox, you can get off your, you know, your mountain or whatever and come mm -hmm. down and join the rest of us. And then there's also another greater reality of, wait a minute, I have something to offer to the world as well. And when I think we can start having those types of conversations, then we can start looking at what is actually joy in my life. And I'm not talking about happiness, right? I think happiness is that um, fleeting moment of it comes and goes, right? You can happy is the counter to sad where where joy is this reality. If you can have joy in the worst atrocities, you can have joy because joy makes room for grief and pain and loss and despair. Um, but I think it's that deeper joy is what we're all longing for. And one of the ways that I think is critical to finding more joy in our life is to have compassion. And so with compassion, we then also tend to think of this notion of compassion means I gave $5 to that person holding the sign, period, done, end of chapter, I had compassion. But it's so much bigger and deeper and richer than that. And in order to, to get to those sorts of deeper complexities of compassion, I, I think we have to realize this notion that we often don't give ourselves grace. And if we don't give ourselves grace, we make it almost physically impossible to give, authentically give somebody else grace. And by that, I mean, we tend to be our own worst critics, right? So yeah, we all, we all tend to gossip and we all tend to judge and we all tend to stereotype, right? It's very unhealthy and toxic, mm -hmm. but that's all outwardly. We, we, 
tend to negate this reality of I wake up and I look in my mirror and I say, man, I'm a, I'm a real jerk. Or, man, I, look at how overweight I am. I hate my body. Or I'm never going to be good enough at this job. Or I'm a terrible parent. Or, I, you know, whatever it is for you that you berate yourself about, we know it's toxic. We know it's so unhealthy for us. Nobody's ever coming in the room and, man, wow, you really look like you can use 30 pounds and all of a sudden you become a vegan and go out and jog a marathon, right? I mean, that's not typically how it goes, right? You go, wow, you're right. I do feel like crap. Let me go eat a donut and have a soda, right? I mean, and, and so if, if we can't have this opportunity to give ourselves grace and give ourselves a break and to say, actually, I am hurting, but I'm still a good person and I've made mistakes, but I'm still a good person and I would like to move forward and have more joy, well, well then how am I – you know, how am I going to forgive you if, if you cut me off in traffic? Because I'm going to have no grace on you and the story in your day and, and, and all the pain and baggage that you're carrying, right? And so you and me can sit across from the table. We can end up going back to that, uh, you know, that reality of when you do see two people fighting and, and cussing each other out in the middle of a stoplight. And so I think that's kind of the starting point of, of what's missing in this world is we don't give ourselves grace. So then we are unable to receive grace from other people. And therefore we are not able to then reciprocate grace back into this world. And so if, if we can't even have that basic, that basic understanding, we're not going to have a basis then for true authentic compassion in our lives. And if we can't engage true authentic compassion, then I think we're stuck at happiness waiting for Netflix, waiting for that ice cream, waiting for that endorphin hit on your cell phone instead of rooting yourself in that deeper joy of life that we're all longing for. Because we know the storms in life, those waves are going to keep hitting our boat time and time again. They're not going to stop. So if the storms don't stop, we have to ask ourselves, if I can't stop the storm, can I change my perception of what the storm is? And that's where I think my goal in all of this deeper conversation is just to empower the individual person to find their joy again. And if we can all do that, man, that would make this world a better place. It sure would. It sure would. My my first book is called Joy Potential. <laughs> and it was, you know, the idea and that one was just um, – just for people to recognize how many opportunities we have throughout every single day uh, to create moments of joy for for ourselves and for others, and um, it's just a matter of our focus and, and um, giving our attention and you know and, and taking some action. Now, one of the um, in that. In, Part one was called Changing Our Posture, and you talk about um, there was a a story that you tell about a friend, Chris, um, who went to Haiti um, to help out. And, you know, this one kind of falls into that uh, area we were talking about, uh, the definition of poor, you know, what poor, typically defined poor. Um, would you mind sharing um, with the listeners that experience um, that Chris had in Haiti? Because I think... Um, it kind of gives um, it's a it's a good example of um, perspective. I think. Yeah, you know, I um, I have several friends in Chris's shoes who you know have traveled the world, and I have several friends who have traveled to Haiti specifically. And and the reason why I use 
um, Haiti as the example is because in the Western Hemisphere, it is the the poorest country. And so that level of poverty is, it's the kind of poverty you see with Sarah McLaughlin singing on, you know, the TV ad begging you for your money type thing, right? I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's gut-wrenching because I, I went there last year on a medical trip and um, it's, it's everything you see in all those terrible videos where you're driving down and you see a kid standing in basically sewage cow, you know, sewage water next to cows and pigs pooping in a stream and trash everywhere and just, you know, diseases and, and the, the plethora of it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it really is gut-wrenching because you, you, you can't express that because that, that level of poverty, while we have poverty in the United States, we don't have that level of poverty. And for, for people like Chris, and, and even now that I can actually attest to it after experiencing it myself, you go down there with this, even if you know it logically, you still go down there with this false expectation of, I'm the the Westerner coming from the richest, most powerful country in the world. I come with the resources, the education, the background. I am here to help people. And what you your mind tries to grapple with is upon going there where, you know, for me personally, where everyone's talking about, oh, aren't you scared? Aren't you afraid of your safety? And all those sorts of things. Uh, to be honest, I couldn't tell you a time that I've never felt more safe in my life. Mm. And I'm driving in the, you know, the pack villages in this, in this car that nobody would dare drive in America <laughs> without airbags and seat belts and everything's all busted and it can't even go faster than 30 miles an hour because the transmission's going to fall off. And even in the midst of that, I felt completely safe and enveloped in this this community because there was no Netflix, because there was no corporate ladder that everyone was fighting and screwing each other over trying to manipulate and climb because, because there wasn't this excess of junk. There was this reality of everybody knew that they were in need. And I'm not saying it was perfect and that there wasn't really deep pain and struggle, but there was just a deeper sense of community that just, it doesn't exist in America. At least I've never seen it on any tangible scale. You know, I've been a part of pockets of it, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a different feeling. And, and when you're a part of this reality of you're coming there to provide I'm, I'm coming there with my stethoscope and my blood pressure cuff and a bag of medicine to help people who this might be their only chance of medical attention for an entire year if not longer and instead there's this outpouring of love that I'm receiving from these communities and in these villages and and you realize how empty you were and you didn't know how empty you were and how little joy and love you actually had because you hadn't experienced it on that level before. And it's, it's kind of, it's a cluster to the mind because you're like, wait, no, 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 I came here to help you. And yet you're giving me so much more than I'm able to give you. And it, 
and it's difficult, but yet it's this beautiful gift. And I, I think that's the kind of humility that I would love to share with people and, and to gauge in because that's the type of humility that I think does bring us all back together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And, and now you mentioned um, earlier about uh, kind of uh, the work that you had done was kind of for the, the wrong reason. I mean, that in a sense, I don't know, maybe not those words, but, but you were, um, Going into it, um, you know, provide doing that social work, um, but kind of like um, that. I am there. I'm here to. I'm here to help you. Well, what, what, there was one phrase in in that one in one of those sections. It was called cyclical compassion. And when you talk to when we're talking about that particular topic. Um, you discuss um, how, how one's work and, and we can participate um, without asking what's it in, what's in it for me um, instead of saying here is what I um, can offer. So when it comes to um, um, being compassionate and, and doing act, providing acts of compassion, what um, the question is, it seems that intention has a big part to play in one's act. So how would you describe um, the different ways that people um, view or approach the idea of, you know, being compassionate? Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think um, in order to get into this idea of compassion, I think we first have to acknowledge some of the roadblocks that keep us from getting there. And so if I can take one step back from cyclical compassion, one of these, one of these notions is, all right, well, if, if joy is the goal or if compassion or grace is the goal or even cyclical compassion, well, then how do I get there? And, and I would love to say, here's your 10-point plan and follow these 10 steps and everything <laughs> will be perfect. But it's it just nothing in life works that way. It sells for books and you try and write that way because it's easier for our <laughs> mind to follow. But it's, it's all baloney, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so yeah, what I try and push for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because these are the same questions that every religion and philosophy has been wrestling with for thousands of years. And so I did not come along in 2020 and all of a sudden solve the magic riddle. So what, what instead I want to want to push people towards is just to empower them to look into what is actually keeping them from engaging that cyclical compassion and, and starting there. Kind of that same idea of if you can't have grace on yourself, how can you authentically have it on somebody else? Well, if you don't know what's keeping you from having more joy in your life, well, then how are you actually ever going to understand how to get more of it? And so uh, some of the examples that I used was um, this, this idea of like, uh, you, you know, what if I'm wrong? And I, and I told this very simple story of when my, you know, my brother had cardiac arrest 
and uh, a couple of times and was in the ICU out in Utah and I flew out to see him and, and just saw this woman just in the waiting room, just having a com- complete meltdown and, and being a person who's, you know, work, working in the hospital setting, I know what that means. And, and it's never a good thing. And so typically we see those situations and we say, oh man, you know, maybe I should go help that person or maybe I should go offer them a hug or maybe, maybe I should just go see if they're okay. And, and we tend not to though, right? There's this, there's this, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then there's the secondary hesitation. And when we hesitate, we give our mind just long enough to say, uh, oh, well, what if they want to be left alone or what if they're going to think I'm a, a weirdo or, you know, crazy, what have you. And in that idea of what if I'm wrong can really help keep you safe and it can really help keep you comfortable and it can help really keep you stuck. And it really helps keep you away from compassion because I'll be honest with you. I can't tell you the number of times that, um, I've reached out in those uncomfortable moments and I've been flat out rejected or people have been offended or, or felt, you know, off by me even asking. Um, and it's true. It happens. But I would tell you, it is such a small percentage of the time that that actually happens. And some of the most intense, authentic moments I've ever had in my life have been even with just complete strangers and just leaning into those uncomfortable moments and just saying, hi, are you okay? And, and I've sat with complete strangers and just cried and held their hand as they pour out their story because they had nobody else to share it to. And it's not that we became best friends and they moved into my spare bedroom and we moved, you know, and life wouldn't know. It was, <laughs> it was an authentic yeah. reality of in those moments because I didn't let my fears and my insecurities hold me back. And so that idea of what if I'm wrong or, or even what if it's, what if I can be a little more blunt and say convenient compassion? I I love this notion that um, uh, (laughs) we, we often like to play God and, and well, here, let me, let me, let me put it this way. (laughs) This idea of convenient compassion is, um, no one has ever said when you walk to them, your friend's dog dies, Sparky passes away, and you go up to them and say, I'm really sorry to hear about Sparky. And no one has ever said, oh, you know what? No, it's totally okay. It was a very convenient time for Sparky to die. <laughs> right? right? There is no such thing as convenient grief or sorrow or despair. And our compassion in our life cannot be com- you know, it cannot be predicated on it as well. And so, yes, it's going to be inconvenient for you at 11 o'clock at night to drive over to your friend's house when their world fell apart. You really just want to get to sleep because, you know, or maybe you want to finish your show on TV, whatever. But those realities of when you reflect on your life and all the difficult things you've gone through and everybody has their list, no one's ever looked back and said, well, that was a very convenient time for that person to die or for me to lose that job or, or for me to get into that car accident on the way to work for that interview I was finally going to get, right? I mean, it's never convenient. You know, our compassion can't be predicated on it either. 
And and the last example that I'll share is is coming back to that notion of when we want to have that control and we might say, oh, does that person deserve it? Mm-hmm. And I think those are the same narratives that keep us from giving ourselves grace because we try to determine who is worthy, who who should get this quote-unquote handout of your grace or your time or your resources. And it's a very, very scary place to be because that puts you back on top of that mountain where you've done no wrong and you've never made a mistake. And you get to look down with those seething eyes and just peer that judgment into somebody else. And that other reality is, again, when you can reflect back and say, yeah, you know what, you've also done some really stupid things in your life. And you know what it's like to have somebody have grace and forgive you and love you in spite of that, right? And so how do you have more of that balance to say um, we all deserve grace even in the depths of despair? And, And I know that can go off on a tangent and, you know, that's one where people want to sit at a coffee shop and argue over for hours. And I think good resources for those types of roadblocks in our lives are, um, you know, people like Desmond Tutu or Archbishop De- the Dalai Lama or, you know, um, my friend Irene Butter who survived the Holocaust or Daryl Davis who fights white supremacy as a black man married to a white woman befriending Ku Klux Klan members. The most powerful influential people in this world do not tend to have barriers for who's in and who's out and who deserves compassion and who doesn't type thing. And so I think these are the great wise leaders of our world that we can learn from. And the more we can engage their ways of how they actually change, literally change our world through their love and grace and compassion, that's where I believe that we get closer to that authentic cyclical compassion where I, it's, it's that cheesy, I buy the person coffee, you know, at, you know, I buy their latte and then they buy the next person their latte. Right. And somebody always stops them. Right. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But then start it again and use that coffee as the metaphor for all of life. I don't care if it's mowing your neighbor's lawn or, or, you know, buying lunch for somebody whose father just died, Whatever it is, it can be as simple as that or it can be as complex as that. And and the more we engage that, the more we will actually find the joy coming back into our lives. And don't be surprised when that grace and compassion starts coming back to you. But it can't be the reason why you engage it, I think, is why I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 I, I agree. You know, the when you were um, in the book, when you talked about Chris and the ICU and the virus, it just made me real, you know, recognize, you know, that in today's world, I mean, we have that situation playing out thousands of times a day, you know? So, I mean, it, and it's just one of those things where it's, um, it, just, it just makes me wonder, um, you know, how many times, the benefit that we could do by, overcoming that fear, you know, and not wondering, you know, if I'm wrong. Or, or even if, like in the case you said, that when you reached out that um, you had been um, either rebuffed or embarrassed, you know, recognizing that that's okay. I mean, that, that is, because um, you know, I think a lot of people will 
you know, maybe at the first time that there's a re, um, a re they're rebuffed, it's, it's going to be a, a showstopper that they won't want to do that again because um, because of how it makes them feel. But one shouldn't um, allow that to stop us, correct? Yes. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, we're going to take a, a real quick break, Thad. We're about halfway through the show already, so um, it's only about 90 seconds. But when we come back, um, you have a, a, a chapter in your book called Finding Compassion in a Broken World. And, and boy, <laughs> does it feel like we're in a, a broken world right now. We thought we may have been one before, but boy, does it look broken now. So when we come back from break, I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, about today's environment and and um, maybe the opportunities that it can present for us. Okay? Okay. All right. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello. This is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and tune in. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My very special guest is Thad Cummings, and we're talking about his book, Radical Compassion, Subverting a Culture of Hostility. And again, you can find out more by visiting Thad's website, which is changingcompany.org. And when you go to that website, um, in addition to being able to find out about the books and speaking engagements and podcasts, um, Fed also has it um, available where you can download the ebook version of Radical Compassion for free. So I would recommend that you go there and download it and, and read it. It's a, a, a very thoughtful book. So, okay, so with that, we're back, Sad. Yes. All righty. Okay, so broken world. <laughs> Boy, um, I'm sure we could probably go on for hours and hours about this, um, but what is your view of the, our current environment and the um, opportunities that um, are presented when it comes to compassion and grace? 
Well, I, I think I could sum it all up in one sentence and just simply say there's no shortage of opportunity for it because there's no shortage of pain, disaster, chaos, grief, loss in this world, right? And to take that a bit deeper, there is this notion that perspective helps. Um, we, we, we live in a culture where I, I really believe that drama, drama sells, you know, reality TV, um, advertisements. It's, it's that notion of everyone wants to go see the next Marvel movie, which is two hours of just explosions. And we all know the exact same plot and the exact same ending, but we race to spend hundreds of millions of dollars tamed. But if we want to talk about, say, starving kids in Yemen, that's not very sexy. And it might get your yeah. attention long enough for a $10 donation, but it's not going to actually alter the course of your life because most people will skip work, spend life savings to travel to see an NFL football game, right? And, and I don't want to knock that and say that games are important or that it's not important to take time and enjoy life. Um, but I find it funny that we will prioritize our, our time worshiping these activities to distract ourselves from reality. And again, there's always a place for that. There's always a balance for that. But what I'm trying to say more bluntly is if you were the kid starving in Yemen, how would you feel if the rest of the world said, I hear you, I know you're there, but I can't see you. You're out of sight, out of mind. So I'm just going to stick to my football game. I'm just going to stick to watching Game of Thrones, what have you. Mm -hmm. And that perspective is, is hard to swallow. And I don't want to come at this from the guilt and shame perspective because then it does no good and we engage yeah. it for the wrong yeah. reasons. What I want to say is, yeah. Yeah. well, well there's, okay. there's just these levels of complexities to the brokenness. But what, what I think ultimately what we're missing out on is a, that greater depth of joy because I think you can do both. I think you can watch your shows and play your games still engage in a level of compassion that ultimately makes greater change in this world. And so yeah. if, if I take that and make it personal and say, you know, cause it's always easy to talk about a place like Haiti or Yemen or Iraq or, or Mexican drug cartel, right? I mean, there's always, you know, we can always just say, Oh, look at all these problems going on in all these other countries in the world or, but if I, if I want to just make it very simplistic, that's very relatable to every American, depending on which study you look at, somewhere around 5,000 times a day, we see an advertisement. Now, thankfully, that's cut back because, you, you, you know, we're cut, you know, we're more home. And so it's given us greater time for introspection and all those types of things. But on your average yeah, normal yeah. day, thousands of times, 
at the very least, you are bombarded with an advertisement. What is an advertisement? All it is is telling you that you are not enough. You are not enough unless you eat at this restaurant, unless you wear these clothes, unless you drive this car, have this stainless steel appliance in your kit, whatever it is, you are not enough until you have it. And the problem with that is that mentality means you can therefore never be enough. Because I'd love to say next year, but really it's more like next week, there's going to be a, a new fashion trend and a new diet and a new appliance and some new gadget that you have to have. And your phone is now obsolete, so you need another one, right? And so you are mm-hmm. constantly chasing this reality of trying to become enough and consuming and consuming and consuming. And it robs you of any ability to see that you are already enough without the phones, without the clothes, without the home. And, and if you can engage in that level and see that level of brokenness that exists in between all of us, I think those are the perspectives that then open us up to see, oh, there's other problems in the world because I now have the mental capacity to say I don't need to be so numbed out by shopping or consuming television and TV shows or whatever social media is on my iPhone from whatever vibrate I just got, you know, every five seconds that I have to check it. Those are the perspectives that say, that, that, that open us up to this to this deeper reality of the world is broken, but we're all actually a part of it. And so how does that apply to right now? It's, it's COVID, it's politics, it's racism, it's sexism, it's all the isms you can think of. And, and when we look at a story like Yemen, we can say, not in my backyard, not my problem. But then I ask people, okay, but that's fine. That's fine. If you, if you don't have the capacity right now, you're, you're, you've lost your job or your family split. I get all that. You might not have the capacity to worry about kids in Yemen right now. Okay. Then tell me about your backyard. And, and mm-hmm. most of us, we don't have an answer for that. Because we're not going to say that we're not going to engage the level of interconnectedness of, of the world. We're not going to acknowledge that you know, our phones are mined by precious metals and by slaves and kids in South Africa and, you know, Southern Africa that's then shipped and basically mined in equally inhumane conditions in China. Also, I can have my iPhone or Motorola, you know, at a cheap price, whatever. But, okay, so if we're, if we're going to negate that level of interconnectedness of the world, then what is literally your thought process for your backyard? Where does it end? Where does it begin? Is it, is it your literal backyard? Is it your neighborhood, your city, your country? Is it that nationalistic pride? And, and we miss out on this reality of aren't we all one anyways? Like we say those and then we don't believe it or follow up with it. And, and I think if we can just for a minute put down our, what I like to reference as our razor sharp edge of our number two graphite pencils or permanent markers, whatever you write with, that we draw these distinct lines of who is in and who is out. Who gets my attention? Who gets my thought process? Who gets my votes? We can acknowledge that it's not working, but actually, in fact, it has never worked. Historically speaking, it has never worked. And if we can get away from that thought process, I think there's this greater reality of saying, okay, 
maybe the brokenness is a part of my doing and maybe the brokenness is actually a part of my story. That allows us to start having deeper conversations. Yeah. Now, when we... Well, first of all, you know, the idea of, you know, marketing and and kind of um, putting in front of our faces the fact that we're not enough or, you know, our life isn't complete unless, you know, fill in the blank. Um, That kind of goes back to the whole idea of um, the view of self, of oneself, of, you know, one's value, um, self-worth. Um, place in the world, um, you know, that, that every question. Now, one of the things, um, there, there was one part in the book when you talk about, uh, it says, when I read the news, read the news, I choose, and you choose to read the stuff, you know, about all of the negativity kind of stuff going on. So for me, I, I have to limit my intake, um, you know, because it, it just seems, you know, be, in your book, you said that when I read the news, I choose to read the stuff. I feel ignorant if I don't stay on top, and then depressed if I do stay on top. And you know, and I think that's kind of really um, a lot of people are feeling that right now. You know, a lot more people are at home, like you say, and, and watching, you know, watching things and, and looking and looking closer at um, uh, what's going on around us and, and looking at our priorities. So. When it comes time to um, balance the the idea of um, staying um, current in, in kind of in what's going on, but also not um, allowing it to you know negatively impact our um, our view or our actions, what would you say, you know, for those who um, want to stay current um, but also don't want to, uh, maybe want to step outside that that, uh, negativity and that um, brokenness that is kind of being, you know, thrown at us. a lot, <laughs> you know, daily. You know what um, I think is a very simple solution, I would say, go public. Go like um, your NPR, your National Public Radios. If you need to catch the news, there are, there are sources like that where not that they're politic-free because nothing is, um, right. but, but to a much greater degree because – if you use Google, Safari, Fire, whatever you use when you go online, those search engines are designed with algorithms to give you what you want. So if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat and you are going to search for something, even if you have the best of intentions to say, I want to look at something on this specific politically hot topic, Google is going to give you the data that feeds your viewpoint because you have a history of searching and and reading the stuff that already kind of affirms your beliefs. And so even if you think you can be unbiased, you basically you can't is what I'm trying to bluntly say. And no one really is. 
And so if we want to come back together as a country, as a community, sitting down with a person who looks different from you, who thinks different from you, who believes different things from you, is one of the best opportunities you can have. Um, my, my friend Gita Mann, who was a Holocaust survivor who just passed, she always said to me in her very, very thick Dutch accent, everybody has a load to bear. And, and my other friend Irene, who also came from the Holocaust, says your enemies are really hard to hate once you know their story. And a, and a good friend of mine was talking about he you know he, he lives in Portland and and lots of the protest demonstrations going on one street was one way one street was the other way and he basically just went across and had a conversation with a gentleman about the Confederate flag and and long story short all the Confederate flags disappeared because there was a bridging there was a divide there was a conversation that understood why that symbol was hurting the side on the other side of the street, right? And, and when we actually engage whoever it is we believe is our enemy, whoever it is we can't stand, and we, and we know more about their pain and their story, it becomes a lot harder to disregard them. And if we can start looking at those levels, I think we can start to engage that, that, that notion of, okay, I don't want to avoid everything and just become ignorant because that's not helpful either. But also screaming and fighting with your aunts and uncles and cousins and friends from college <laughs> on Facebook is also not actually doing anything helpful either because has anybody ever came and screamed at you and told you you were a piece of crap and you said, oh, thanks for your opinion. I am a piece of crap. I'll change all my political views because you yelled at me, right? Like that, that doesn't work. And so we just waste our time and ruin our relationships over it. And so what could actually work is asking really difficult, hard questions and, and finding out that your opinion may not be the only opinion. And that, I think, will help bring more healing in this world, and it is another form of compassion. Yeah, we do, we do need to talk to one another more and, and be um, less judgmental. And like you say, you know, um, with, um, you know with Internet and, and searches and, and kind of being directed toward like-minded opinion or, or information doesn't do anything for broadening, you know, one's horizon. Now, so when you talk about, uh, you know, someone calling you something, I, there was one point that you indicated in the book that uh, you had one message, um, a hateful message that was sitting in your queue, and it said, dumb socialist, I'm glad you're broke. You are broke. Um, you know, when I when I read that, I thought, now, why would you know Sad want to keep that message? I mean, when, when someone is like that, so um, what what would you say to you know someone who is presented with that, that kind of that kind of um, attack um, from someone who just doesn't know you? 
I think that was the gift. It, it's it's easier to dismiss a comment from a stranger than it is to dismiss a comment from somebody who's very close to your family member. There's no denying that. But yeah. when those companies shut down and I had to walk away from everything and I was getting all that hate mail and those messages, um, what I realized was those people don't know who I am and they don't know my story because nobody that I've ever had that conversation with has had that response once they knew. Right. And, and that message was a reminder to me to not take everything personally. And that's hard. It's really hard to not be offended when somebody yells and calls you a jerk to your face. Right. It's really difficult. But at the same time, so much more freeing when that person cuts you off in traffic and flips you in the bird and say, man, what would make somebody drop an F-bomb to a complete stranger? They must really be hurting and having a bad day because no one wakes up and go, man, I just want to go ruin somebody's (laughs) day. No, well, we few people. Even, <laughs> yeah, but even even in the worst scenarios, everybody wants joy. No matter what front you play, no matter you know from from the bad boy to what, whatever you want to play, everybody is actually fighting a story from the pain of their past. And if we can acknowledge that, right, that everybody is is is, is coming from that, whatever their narrative is we can have more grace on them and say, you know what, maybe they cut me off because they're on the way to the hospital. Maybe they cut me off because their boss mm-hmm. just yelled at them or, yeah. or whatever it could be, right? And maybe it's not. Maybe it is just they're just really mean that day. I don't know. But <laughs> right. what if you're wrong, right? What if terrible day and they have nobody, they have no safe way to talk about it. They, they were never given a book on feelings. They were never given a, hey, go talk to your therapist. They were never giving healthy coping mechanisms to engage those. I can tell you that I didn't, and I had made a lot of mistakes of expressing my pain in unhealthy ways to complete strangers or close family and friends. And so when I think about this, bluntly speaking, whatever extreme you want to put it on, I, I, I come back to those realities of who are my personal heroes. And I think about people like Daryl Davis. If you haven't seen his documentary, Accidental Courtesy, whatever your story, whatever you think is too difficult to overcome, and I know Thanksgiving is hard. We all make that joke. But if a black man can be married to a white woman and can go convert Ku Klux Klan members out of the Klan by befriending them, yeah. that level of of loving your enemy, then I have deep faith that we can handle disagreements over health care at Thanksgiving or the best way to wear a mask for COVID. You know, I mean, right. I agree. it's possible I agree is what much. I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And, and we just need to have the awareness and then make the effort. And speaking of making the effort, um, we're getting down to the end of the show, but I, there is one area um, of your book that I also kind of want to highlight, and it's, it's a call to action. Um, you know, awareness is good, 
but in my opinion, awareness without action doesn't go anywhere. I mean, it just, it's kind of like, um, to me, it seems like it's a, a waste of knowledge. I mean, you know, if you're, um, so what, you know, what would you, what would your, for the listener, what would your call to action be for the listener? What, what actions would be great for them to be able to implement to, to maybe get on that compassion wagon? Honestly, I would just ask them one, one question. It's what are you, what are you passionate about? Because if, if, if you don't engage what you're, what you're actually passionate about, it's doomed to fail from the start because we're, we're as, <laughs> we're not all passionate about the same things and what a gift. So if, yeah. if you can realize that there is an endless need and, and we can go back to that, maybe it is, maybe it is kids in Yemen. I, I know people who have literally moved their entire family to Iraq in the middle of the war and are doing amazing things, but that was what was best for them. Maybe your passion right. is teaching yoga at a senior center because of how neglected the elderly population is in our community with the highest rates of suicide and depression and anxiety rate. Uh, maybe you can simply, if, if you struggle with immigration, go down to your local community and teach English classes. If, if you challenge yourself and simultaneously find what you're passionate about, because I said, you, we all have gifts. You're good at fixing cars. You're good at, you're good at reading. You're good at cleaning. You're, you're, whatever it is, you're good at something. Engage that and find a place for it in the world, because I promise you there's more need than you will ever be able to fill. And simultaneously, if you can, challenge yourself to widen your perspective. Whatever it is that you politically can't stand, engage it a little bit deeper. Whatever it is you can't bear the sight of, try and understand it more. And I, and I think that humility that we can constantly come back to, that, that, that level of grace is what's ultimately going to bring more joy into our lives. And when you are engaging your passions and you are finding your joy, it's only going to bring more joy and encourage me to bring more of my passions into my own life. And that's how I think we can heal some of the brokenness in this world. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, um, just want to also point out to the listeners that um, by going to your website, changingcompany.org, you also have a section, um, a link on called the giving tree our giving tree, and um, you know, it talks about you talk about uh, several organizations um, or, or people that uh, are deserving of, of awareness funds support of some form. Um, so I would um, invite the listeners to go to that, read the stories, great stories, um, but also um, there's a, a place for people can who can submit um, information to you you know, for, for your consideration. So um, that's a great thing. And so, well, Fat, we're out of time completely. So I want to thank you for your time today. I, I've enjoyed speaking with you and, and I enjoyed reading um, Radical Compassion. Um, it gave me a lot to think about and, uh, and that's a good thing. So I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 
it is my pleasure. And um, anyway, I want to thank you. And now, are you on uh, social media at all? Uh, a touch. I, I, I don't engage it a too touch. much. Okay. So the, the website. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not a passion yeah. of mine. Okay. I'll just be honest. But, okay. uh, the, the website is a great, right. the changingcompany.org is a great yeah. place to get in touch with me. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you again for your time, Tad. It, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. And everyone, today my special guest has been Thad Cummings. We've been talking about his book, Radical Compassion, Subverting a Culture of Hostility. Um, he's also author of um, the book, um, Running from Fear. You can check that one out on Amazon as well. as um, Radical Compassion you can get as a free download from his website. So, again, his website is changingcompany.org. Uh, go there and explore. There is a lot for you to, to learn. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.